Five Star Insights with Arti Halai. Welcome to Five Star Insights with Arti Halai, where we speak to people from a wide range of backgrounds and sectors, all of whom are making a real difference in society. I'll introduce each guest with a short summary about their achievements before we dive straight into finding out more about the individual through their five choices of a location, cuisine, music, literature, and art. So, sit back and enjoy. I'm delighted that my guest on Five Star Insights today is Chief Executive Officer of Apps for Good, Heather Pickoff. The award-winning education charity specializes in tech and has reached over 175,000 young people aged between 10 and 18 since it launched in 2010. Apps for Good helps young people tackle issues they passionately care about by creating digital products like apps and software. Partnering with schools, it already is opening new education and career pathways, especially for girls and young people in challenging circumstances. Super excited by the mission, after Heather ran her first event for Apps for Good, she was hooked and its success secured her a permanent job within the organisation. She describes her leadership style as collaborative, supportive and empowering those around her. She says sometimes it's better to just let people get on with things and get out of the way. Heather has learned some big lessons in her role, including not being afraid to ask for help, the importance of networks and building relationships, and that being a leader doesn't mean being perfect and having all the answers. Hello, Heather. I want to start with the section on art, because as a teenager, you wanted to pursue a career in art or design, and it seems so removed from where you are today. So what happened? Yeah, I guess it's uh, as a child, I always loved drawing. I mean, it was the, the thing that I, you know, if I was at a restaurant with my family, I wanted to just sit and draw. It was a thing I wanted to do at home all the time and something I continued to pursue into secondary school. So, yeah, I think, you know, it comes to that point that, you know, a lot of young people face where you sort of go, okay, now I'm being asked to sort of take these things that I love and think about, think about my career. So, you know, it was something I, I thought about and sort of talked to, you know, school advisors and, and my parents and, you know, certainly um, <laughs> my parents and, and probably very practical, sensible advice of, you know, the worst case scenario, visiting a kind of starving artist daughter said, okay, you know, that that's nice, but, you know, you know, you're also, I was also, you know, did well in maths and sciences at school. And, and, you know, they were really excited about that. And, and I think from their background too, neither my parents, they didn't go to university, they didn't particularly excel academically. So I think they were sort of thinking, you know, wow, you've got this sort of amazing, you know, superpower around maths and sciences. It, it, it also practically is a great career. So why don't you do that? So what was it you ended up reading at university? Yeah, so I did end up um, completing a degree in human biology. I did actually sort of broaden out from there. Um, and I think I, I'm, I'm a bit of a generalist anyways to also do classical civilizations. So I did complete that in, in sciences. I sort of, yeah, kind of abandoned the art for a bit. You moved from Canada to London and your new home in this city has given you an opportunity to really enjoy the arts. Moved to London 14 years ago. And one of those things was about, you know, the you know, amazing access in London and then, and, and, you know, across Europe to, to art and to have that as part of my life. You're interested in the environment and surroundings that London offers too. Tell us more about that. 
that idea of what sort of humans can create and the kind of built environment and the way that sort of shapes shapes our experience every day has always been really sort of fascinating to me. The layers of history in London and, and the different sort of buildings from from the old to the new has always just been so sort of exciting. And 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 I've really, really enjoyed just sort of, you know, that experience of walking around the streets here and then certainly across across Europe as well. London has done a beautiful job with that modern architecture, blending with the traditional historical heritage that the city has to offer. Is there one building that resonates with you in particular? I'm not sure I'd say a building. I'd say I'd say it's probably back to those contrasts, like the Gherkin building, you know, in the middle of the city, you know, when you look across and it's surrounded by, you know, the, the Bank of England and the surrounding sort of older buildings going across, you know, standing at Tate Modern and looking across the Millennium Bridge up over to St. Paul's. I think it's those juxtapositions and moments that that I think feel really London to me. Yes, King's Cross is another example where it you know, which I, I live right near, uh, feels that it's sort of evolving in that sense. You've got that sort of, you know, still celebrating the old, the, the sort of old and existing, whether it's the canals or, or the, build, the, the warehouses there, but then lots of, of new being built as well. Moving on to something else that you love, and that is reading. And we come to our section on literature. So tell us what sort of books you enjoy. Um, yeah, I, guess, I mean, I guess I read, I read pretty widely. So fiction, nonfiction, popular books about history, science. I guess I have sort of developed a kind of interest in reading historical biographies. I think it's that that mix of history with the kind of personal journey that I've, I've just found really interesting. So I've, you know, ended up reading, you know, the and some of these are quite popular, you know, books that have, I've sort of come across that way of, you know, Alexander Hamilton's biography or biographies of Lincoln's. And then it sort of led me on, on to other ones from there. You say you love learning through reading. What do you mean by that? I think it's both, you know, learning what you learn through fiction um, when you're learning, kind of getting that insight into, into people that, that's been written. But then also, of course, through books, whether it's like a science book or, you know, I think you're, you're, you're getting a different perspective. And I love that's something that's different from my day job as well. Give us an example of not the historical biographies, but the other types of non-fiction popular books that you also dive into. Yeah, so I'm reading a book right now on the microbiome, um, which is, it's, it is a bit, but but still a, a popular science book probably. So yeah, there's a bit of heaviness too, but also super interesting just to understand that impact on on who we are as people our lives or you know and then the kind of water ecosystem as well um which i find really fascinating um, i'm not sure i retain much of it but um i do enjoy reading it have you always been a reader from childhood or was this something that you developed and grew into over the years i think i always used to read a lot of fiction as a as a child i think i loved sort of kind of burrowing away and, and reading a book I probably wasn't exposed to lots of different things. My parents aren't huge readers, so there you know, weren't, wasn't lots around. I think it's probably more once I went to university and, and more lately that I've sort of really delved and brought in that sort of range of books that I read. But I do think I'm, I guess I'm probably a little bit of an introvert and that sense of just being able to sort of on my own engaging with the book. I mean, that's kind of also like my my dream sort of holiday is to just be able to spend five days probably ideally on a beach somewhere too just reading away would is yeah I'd love to, I, I like that idea of yes you just want to keep going but I will admit there's definitely some books that I kind of get sort of you know I don't know whether it is like you know that that little bit through not not even quite a third through but that you know 
bit through, it was like, okay, this just isn't happening for me. And I've read so many amazing books um, that I get so excited about that. Yes, when you pick up something that is just like, I'm not connecting to this, I kind of go, all right, putting that down, maybe I'll come back to it later and, and move on. What book would you say has stayed with you the most? To be honest, I'm not really sure there is one that I would say has really moved me or stayed with me. And, you know, I think there's different books that there's bits of it that I take certainly take with me across different books that there's probably no one that's really that's dominated that I've, you know, there's no book that I go back to time and time again or anything like that. You get so much from historical biographies and the history of your family's been really interesting and it's clearly very important to you. We're going to find out more as we come on to our next section, cuisine. So what have you chosen? Definitely the, the food for me would be the Ashkenazi Jewish food I grew up with. So, you know, the, the food cooked by my grandmothers, whether that's um, the dishes like gefilte fish and kugel, which is a sweet noodle dish, or chopped liver, or, you know, those types of things, which, you know, it's, I guess it's peasant food really. So, you know, is it always the most, you know, somebody externally might not find it the most delicious or interesting food, but to me, it's just instantly connection back to my childhood and, and, and has that, that memory for me and connection. All my grandparents were first-generation Canadians. My family, you know, their their parents were born in Russia, Lithuania, and Poland, and they came to Canada in the early 1900s. So very likely we we don't know the the full story, but you know, certainly you know, certainly at that time, lots of challenging times for Jewish people living there and, and poverty. Um, so you know, they would have you know they did come to, to Canada with very little, not speaking much English, and just sort of having to to work their way up from there. There was a bakery business in the family, wasn't there? Shed some light on that for us. Yeah, so one of the one side of my family, my maternal grandmother's family, they came to Canada and started a bakery in their home. So it, you know, they needed a business. It was something they knew. So my grandmother grew up with a, you know, basically her and her brothers and sisters sleeping above these ovens in the house, which is, you know, in a Toronto winter pretty nice at a Toronto hot humid Toronto summer less nice but but they were actually quite successful so the bakery grew into a quite a large commercial bakery which was located around the ended up being located around the corner from my grandmother grew up and you know I used to see you know particularly I went to university not far from there and used to see the trucks around around Toronto the Silverstein's trucks and that was always really cool and to go into the bakery was just this amazing place with these you know machinery that I mean you know, had it been updated for a really long time to see that, you know, all sort of whizzing away. And it was, yeah, it's been, a, it's that, that sort of family business. It's, it kept going until it was only um, last year that it closed its doors and was still run by, by my mother's cousins. And do you bake? <laughs> not really. I've tried a little bit, but I'm, I'm not, I, I cook a bit. I'm not, you know, an amazing cook, but I'm okay, but I am, I'm not a baker. No. <laughs> Your association with food and family and culture, it's really important. You say you grew up around family gatherings and it was always about eating together? We used to get together as a family, certainly at least monthly, but pretty much weekly. And yes, it was always about a meal and particularly the Jewish holidays were definitely, and they are, you know, they are so much about food, whether it's the Jewish New Year, which, you, you know, you eat certain certain sweet foods to talk about having a sweet New Year and whether Passover as well, having matzah, very much Jewish culture is so linked to food. So that was always part of it. And I think I've probably taken away that enjoyment of food and and also that value of family as well and making those connections and, and sort of coming together around a meal and the, the importance of that. And your grandmother's recipes, are there any you hold on to and try to cook? 
I've tried to make, I've made lekkas before, um, just through a random recipe that I found online, but uh, I wish, and I don't have from one of my, my grandmothers passed away her, the kugel recipe, which is every Jewish grandmother thing has a different kugel recipe. It's the sweet noodle jesses, some of these raisins, some dough, different cheeses, that kind of thing. And I, that's when I really wish I'd gotten from her because that, that's one of them was definitely one of my favorites. You have a son, and I'm wondering whether the significance that this food has for you in your life will be passed down to him. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure, to be honest, I'm not sure. I think that's part of the challenge of my move here and, and living and raising my son with, with my husband, who's British, here and not having that wider family a part of our, our day-to-day life in a certain way. And, and sometimes I'm, I'm a bit sort of sad about that. And I, I do think about how my friends and, and that community can kind of step in and and sort of do that so we've tried a little bit to sort of celebrate some of the jewish holidays um with my son but yes i think i would really love to have that as part of of his life and to do other things that actually i didn't do growing up which was you know celebrating shabbat on a friday night which my my family aren't aren't particularly observant but still that idea again of of coming together around a meal once a week and sort of having that as really kind of sacred time not in a religious sense, but in a just family time that you just all commit to that and, and come together. I think I'd, I've, you know, sort of talked to my husband about whether we, we might want to do that as, as my son gets older. And talking of your husband brings me nicely onto the fourth section of our interview, and that is location. So what is your chosen location and why? Yeah, so I chose the Amalfi Coast, which is where my husband and I got married. So we, we got married five years ago. We wanted, we wanted a small wedding you know, both of us are just really keen on doing something quite simple in that way. But the most important thing to us was, um, because we do love, love good food and love good wine, was to be somewhere that had those things and was a beautiful setting. And we, my husband travels to Italy regularly for work as well. So we did a very, very challenging research trip around Italy to sort of see whether that would work for us. Um, and, and just sort of fell in love with, with how beautiful the Amalfi Coast is and decided to, to, to bring, bring, um, we only, there's only 11 of us in total. So we brought my my parents and sister and her her children and then my husband's parents came as well. And we just, you know, it was just a, a, a lovely time together um, in, in yeah, a beautiful place. Let's take you back to that magical moment. Describe the day for us. Yeah, so we decided to get married. We weren't, I, I mean, I tried to be as unfussed as possible at the wedding and just care about a few things. And we just wanted somewhere, you know, the Amalfi Coast is a bit of, we're not the only ones that think it's beautiful, want a wedding there. So we made an effort to... Um, try to go somewhere that was a bit off the kind of beaten track there. So we got married in a lemon grove, actually. Um, we were the third wedding to take place there. It is essentially a working farm. So when we, you know, when I got off the out of the car, there were the farm workers there sort of waving me and saying congratulations, which was really fun. And we, yeah, just got married overlooking the coast and and in there surrounded by these lemon trees. And that was really amazing. And then went and had a dinner together. Again, beautiful views um, somewhere along the coast. And it was just, you know, it's just a sort of a, a sort of small, intimate, you know, special day where we just sort of got to be with our, our closest family. And, and yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It sounds ideal. Have you been back since? We have been back a few times. Yeah. So we, we um, actually just were back near there recently. We took our son, which was really fun. It was right around our anniversary too. So yeah, it was, it was fantastic. What is it about the Italian culture and environment that made you feel it's got to be this place? Yeah, I mean, I think undeniably a beautiful place, but I think also just there that love of just the day to day, the 
the appreciation of small things like good food, like good wine. So I think that we both really connect to. You have a family, a husband and son. Let's bring Lucas in as we touch on the last section, music. So what does music do for you? Well, I guess I'd say I'm probably the the least musical person I know. You know, I've always been really self-conscious about singing in public. I have, you know, absolutely no singing ability, totally tone deaf. So, yeah, I mean, I I, um, I was forced to play an instrument in, in school, which um, I did. I played the flute. Uh, yeah, I, I played... Yeah, I played the flute, mostly because my sister played it, and she was actually really in, into music. And the second thing was because I chose the flute because it was really light to carry. And so my father thought that was a very practical choice for me, so I wouldn't be dragging some some heavy instrument to and from. It was a very sensible recommendation, yeah. So, And I think probably what they'd ever said to us was probably because it's also really quiet, so they wouldn't have to listen to us, um, you know, practicing in the, in the basement, you know, being tortured by that. What sort of music did you grow up listening to? You know, going to probably age me, but um, yeah, some of the kind of, you know, 80s music like Wham and Whitney Houston and Madonna and all that, definitely um, that kind of popular music. You know, my, my dad was also into, into things like the Rolling Stones. Um, he was actually quite musical. He, he played the guitar, but it wasn't, he had sort of stopped doing that and, and you know, had working very hard, so he didn't really have a lot of time to enjoy that and, and share that too much with us. If you could choose that one song that means so much to you, what would it be? Yeah, so I think it would be my my husband is uh, really likes Lou Reed, and it's one thing he played for our baby in the early days, and so, used to sing would sing in the song "Perfect Day" to try to get him to sleep. So yeah, uh, sometimes, not always. You know, it's definitely will take takes me back to those you know exhausting and overwhelming, but also you know really magical early days, early days with our son. And how old is your son now? So he's 17 months now. He is, he's a, he's a handful of mischievous, but also amazing. Yeah, so wonderful to sort of see the world through his eyes and watch him sort of grow and develop. And yeah, he's, he's lots of fun. Uh, exhausting, but lots of fun. <laughs> what sort of music does he dance away to? <laughs> yeah, he loves dancing. Actually, it's so cute. Pretty much anything we put on, he he kind of does a little a little dance too. But yeah, I think my husband is quite convinced he does love Lou Reed. I mean, pretty much anything my husband likes, he thinks that Lucas likes. Um, uh, we play, yeah, we play him everything from like ABBA to classical music, and yeah, he he does really respond to music, which is which is really fun. Children really will dance to anything, anywhere at that age. And on that fun note, we'll bring this interview to a close. Heather, thank you very much for sharing your five-star insights with us. It's been a pleasure. Great. Yes, thank you. It's, it's wonderful to do this. Five-star insights with Artie Halai.